0: Before we jump into today's episode, I have some very exciting news. Nordic natural's number one selling fish oil is now in gummy form. If you've been listening to our podcast, you know, by now, just how important omega threes are for optimizing immune function, supporting healthy brain and heart, and above all else, keeping our cells healthy, which supports every structure and process in our bodies. However, we also know that it can be very tough to meet your omega-3 needs through diet alone. And for some people, swallowing a pill is just not very appealing. Luckily, in just two chewable gummies, you get 1200 milligrams of omega-3s, which is our highest potency omega-3 gummy. And they're also delicious, which helps you remember to take them each day. Head to Nordic.com and use the code NaturallyWell15 for 15% off our new Ultimate Omega Gummy Chews and start making Omega 3s part of your daily routine. Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today's guest is Max Lugavere. Max is a health and science journalist and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Genius Foods, become smarter, happier, and more productive while protecting your brain for life. His sophomore book, also a bestseller, is called The Genius Life, Heal Your Mind, Strengthen Your Body, and Become Extraordinary. Max is the host of the number one iTunes health and wellness podcast titled The Genius Life. Max's new cookbook, Genius Kitchen, features 100 plus delicious and grain-free recipes and a powerful kitchen resource that celebrates the art and science of eating well. It's not common, especially in the wellness space, that I can say I wholeheartedly agree with over 90% of what's written in a wellness expert's book. But I can confidently say that after reading The Genius Life. In this episode, Max and I discuss the different aspects of living a genius life, including his always foods, food timing, effective exercise practices, tips for better sleep, and how to stress less. He also shares his simplest recommendations for reducing your toxin load, which can often play an underlying negative role in our health. And make sure to stay until the end to hear Max run through a typical day living a genius life from sunrise to sunset. Max, welcome to the show. We have had high anticipation for this episode. Um, It's so good to get to connect again. And obviously, I know your journey and story, but I'd love for you to just start off with telling our listeners a little bit more about your story and how you came to be such an expert in brain health and really longevity.
1: Yeah. Hi, Kate. First of all, thank you for for having me. This is so cool. Um, Yeah, I didn't take the traditional path. I, um, I, I didn't go through medical school, I'm not a dietitian. I, um, w- I began simply as a concerned son, a son who loved his mother and was really concerned when she at a young age started to develop the earliest symptoms of, of dementia, of a rare form of dementia called Lewy body dementia, which is progressive, incurable, and akin to having both Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease at the same time. And this occurred when she was about 58 years old. This was the the initial onset of her symptoms. And I was in my late 20s at the time. And I had had a, a, a passion for nutrition, fitness, my whole life. For as long as I can remember, I was I was uh, obsessed with these topics. Um, I actually started college on a pre-med track, but I ended up pivoting when I realized that I also love communication and storytelling. And, um, and so I, I took a different path. But when my mom got sick, Everything else in my life um, that I had previously been interested in kind of faded to the wayside and I became obsessed, fixated on trying to understand all of the different, whether they're dietary or lifestyle factors that might predispose a person to developing a condition like dementia, which is so common these days. And I stumbled upon a few insights that really motivated me to put my, to step my foot forward and begin teaching um, publicly the things that I was learning. One, I realized that dementia often begins in the brain decades before the first symptom of memory loss, which is shocking, but by some estimates, twenty to thirty to even forty years before the um, the onset of symptoms, you can see signs in the brain that are indicative of uh, risk for developing this this condition down the line. So the idea that this is like an old person's disease, to me is something that that was a myth that was very, very quickly dispelled when I when I realized that. And if you were to take thirty years, away from my mom's age at the time, you'd get me. So there was that. I also didn't have any prior family history of dementia, to my knowledge at least. So that this is a genetic condition was also, I couldn't chalk what I was seeing up, what I was seeing in my mom up to genes because her mother, my maternal grandmother was cognitively healthy and she was about 30, 40 years older than my mom at the time. So not a genetic condition, not a a condition that is, um, that is relegated exclusively to old people. For me, that presented a really powerful, um, uh, it, it served as a call to action to me to learn everything I could about what we might do today to batten down the hatches and and protect our brains so that we might buy ourselves additional months, years, maybe even decades of cognitive health down the, down the line.
0: Yeah, no, and it's so interesting because, I mean, at our age, right. Or like in your thirties, you're really not thinking about dementia, but you teach everyone that we need to, or we need to start putting ourselves on a path where we can prevent. And right. It's not only dementia. And we'll get into that too. Like there's so many aspects to health that we can change to really help kind of you know, make that future for ourselves and prevent a lot of these unwanted. I mean, it's like right now I just see so many autoimmune diseases and it's like, right. Like we can relate a lot of it back to sugar. We can relate a lot of it back to like a lot of these, you know, refined carbs and things like that. And I do still find people are more conscious but they're still not ready to like take that full step, right? Like they'll be like, oh, you know, I'm going to cut sugar out for a week. It's like, okay, well, that's great. But like, let's really look at this lifestyle change. And that's why I really love, and today we'll get into it, but your book, the genius life. I mean, Max, we know how many books come out about health a year. Right. And I will say there's only a very select few that I really can be like reading a chapter and be like, okay, I'm in agreement. I'm in agreement. And also see that the science is presented with a very unbiased lens and your book, the genius life was it for me. Mm -hmm. Like it, it met all of those markers. Um, and I truly do feel like if people were to follow your recommendations in that book, they would be on that better path. So I'd love to dive into some of the chapters there, and I first just want to start with like, which I feel like is what a lot of people want to know. You have the term of like your always foods. Hmm. So if you could run through some of those always foods and what are the benefits?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, f- food is such a great place to start, precisely because it's something that we all engage with, right? We eat some of us three times a day, many of us more, but. Um, food is a powerful leverage point. It's not the only leverage point at our disposal, right? We, we can look to sleep and, and how to optimize that stress exercise, but yeah. food, but food is something that, um, we are at the end of the day, what we eat. I mean, this is, this is not a, a, a hyperbole. This is absolute scientific fact at this point. And what we eat informs our, the, the, not just our brain health, but, um, our mental health as well. And I think there are two primary things that we want to derive from our food. First of all, our dietary pattern as a whole matters in the sense that we want our diets to support metabolic health as opposed to metabolic illness. Unfortunately today, nine in 10 adults have at least one component of the metabolic syndrome, whether it's an oversized waistline, whether it's low HDL, high triglycerides, high fasting blood sugar, high fasting insulin. Um, so that's sort of like the overarching uh, di- like di- dietary pattern um, goal is to eat in a way that supports your optimal body composition, your optimal metabolic health. But when it comes to the brain, there are two um, sorts, so- sorts of ob- objectives that I think we have to have when it comes to procuring um, and promoting optimal brain health. One is we need to supply our brains with the optimal building blocks that they require to create healthy new brain cells. So we used to think that the brain would develop to a point of maturity at about um, the third, in about the third decade of life. Um, by the age of 25 uh, or in the late 20s, your brain reaches a point of maturity, only to begin a sort of low and slow, gradual decline. Um, until the end of life. And, you know, maybe you have a few too many beers one night, you accelerate that process, right? But there's really nothing that you could, in, in accordance with the science, up until about 20 years ago, there was really nothing that you could do to um, change that sort of uh, trajectory, right? But now we know that the brain can actually create new brain cells, healthy new neuronal cells in. In particular, in the more vulnerable areas of the brain, like the hippocampus, which is the memory processing center of the brain, the onus is on us to supply our brains with those building block molecules, right? You can't build something from nothing. And that's why we have foods, we have to ingest foods that contain essential fatty acids, like the omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids, which I know Nordic Naturals, you know, I, I love omega-3 fats. I think it's really important that people consume preformed omega-3 fats. hexaenoic acid, pentaenoic acid, and hexaenoic acid, EPA, and DHA fat. And you get those, from, those fats from wild salmon, a much smaller amount in grass-fed beef, but um, a significant source nonetheless. Also in, in egg yolks. And then you have the plant-based forms, um, alpha-linolenic acid, which is found in chia seeds and walnuts and and things like that. But we vary in our ability to convert those, um, the the plant-based forms of omega-3s to their usable forms in the body. That's something that I think is really crucial to know about, depending on your genes, your gender. um, People vary in their efficacy and efficiency with regard to converting the plant-based form of omega-3s to the form that your body will actually utilize, that your brain will actually utilize. So those are the building blocks. The second thing that we um, really need to uh, consider when when making dietary choices is the fact that our brains are subjected to innumerable stressors throughout the day and ultimately throughout life. These stressors come in the form of the stress that we're all familiar with, right? Like workplace stress, relational stress, things like that. But also um, exposure to environmental toxicants is a form of stress. So one uh, one category of, of uh, compounds that we need to ingest in our food are protector molecules, whether they're fat soluble antioxidants or plant based phytochemicals that we know help our brains serve as sort of an armament for our brains, so that they can our brains can defend themselves against at the molecular level against these um, stresses. And so, foods that are rich in vitamin E, for example, which avocados are a wonderful source of. Of vitamin E, uh, which is a a very important um, fat-soluble antioxidant. Nuts, seeds, right? Like sunflower seeds, almonds, wonderful sources of vitamin E. Wherever you find polyunsaturated fats in nature, you also will find antioxidants that protect those fats. Um, So, you know, wild salmon is a great source of uh, vitamin E, but also a a powerful carotenoid called astaxanthin, which I'm a huge fan of, which we know supports eye, skin, and, and brain health. So, when I was looking into the medical literature and, and discovering all these sort of truths about what the brain needs in order to um, age at its best, there were some foods that I felt stood out um, that, that were particularly, I think, uh, available and, and accessible to people. And I've termed them the genius foods, which is not a scientific term, but it's a term that I've sort of cre- created to uh, help identify and um, and make memorable the foods that uh, are going to give your brain the most bang for the buck with regard to these different compounds, the building block molecules, the protector molecules, and whether it's wild salmon or grass fed beef or almonds or dark leafy greens, which are rich in these sort of protector chemicals. Um, it's, it's my sort of, um, hypothesis and what has sort of started to be, uh, Proven by the by the fact that I get now feedback from people all around the world who have read my books and integrated my recommendations that um, this dietary pattern will ultimately help protect your brain as it ages and also help it work better in the here and now, which I think is such an important you know value proposition for people because people don't really, especially younger people as you don't really care about this like abstract concept of dementia down the line, right? Most people think that it's a it's an inevitability of aging, but what most people do want to be, um, what most people do want is more energy, right? Like in the here and now. They want to be less uh, tired. They want more sort of, um, they want like a sharper memory. Um, They want better mental health, which is so important. And so what I think is so uh, crucial for people to know is that these same foods that are going to help batten down the hatches and protect your brain as it ages also help it work better in the here and now. Support mental health, support executive function, support working memory—all of these important, crucially important aspects of our cognitive function—that um, for too too many people are are functioning suboptimally because of the standard, the preponderance of the standard American diet. So that's what I offer, um, and uh, and and again, food does play such an incredibly powerful role in this.
0: Yeah, no, I mean that's how you have to get people. It's like just telling them like. You're probably working suboptimally right now. I mean, right? Like, let's give you, like, even just the term, like, more brain power. But in the society we're living in today, I mean, there's so much distracting us, but there's also so many things we're processing in our brain, right? Like, whether you're going from like, you just checked social media and you're, processing something from there. And then your work calendar pops up that you have a meeting soon that you need to prep for. And then you just got a text from your friend that, you know, reminder, we have dinner tonight. Like we're just, we're in such a place where we need our brain to be working optimally. And then it is, it's nice that like it pads us for the future. Um, I'm curious, Max, where do you see people fall short the most when it comes Mm. to diet?
1: Well, I, I feel like I used to be a lot more um, b- interested and, and, and maybe even a little obsessed with like trying to find the right like macronutrient composition mm-hmm. of one's diet. And I, I, th- I think that the added sugar epidemic is a big problem. Your average American today consumes 77 grams of added sugar every day, which is about 20 teaspoons of pure sugar, added sugar. Right, this isn't sugar yeah. from fruit. Yeah, no, sugar, even fruit juice for that matter. It's like the sugar that's added to ultra processed foods. So for me, the the I think the one of the key leverage points for people is just to minimize their consumption of ultra processed foods. Like we can debate all day long about you know the merits of a more animal based diet versus a more or or a more plant based diet. But for me, most people the 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 lowest hanging fruit in most people's lives, I think, are going to be reducing their consumption of these ultra-processed foods, shelf-stable, packaged convenience foods that are nutrient-depleted, energy-rich, packed with added sugar, typically unhealthy oils, and, um, and just cutting down on your consumption of those foods. Today, 60% of the calories that your average American consumes comes from those foods. And those foods, make no mistake... Mm. Are They are at the foundation of the obesity epidemic, where by the year 2030, one in two adults are going to be not just overweight, but obese. And it's these ultra-processed, hyper-palatable foods that I think are are really a a defining feature of the standard American SAD diet.
0: Yeah, and we were talking about energy earlier and how we all want more energy. And I think something I try to always tell clients is like these refined carbohydrates so like pretty much anything made with white sugar or white flour when we're talking about refined carbs they're energy depleting because just for us to digest them we have to use our stored vitamins and minerals to process them which what does that do that feels us and that's where like you know when people say like after you have like a big pasta dinner right and you're in that food coma after and you're like i literally have no energy to do anything or even like a just like a bagel and cream cheese. You're like, why am I so tired after it's like, well, unfortunately your bagel just depleted a lot of your nutrients and you're more tired. So sometimes like just understanding that, and that's a big thing, like with behavior change, right. Too, like just giving the why, but so many people are just going through life. One, not even realizing how much added sugar is in their diet and where it's coming from. And I wanted to touch on Max, cause I love like the term you made too, about snackadence.
1: Yeah, cause yeah, I yeah. think that's
0: where a lot of our added sugar comes from, or for a lot of people, like they're just grabbing a granola bar. Cause they think it's healthy, right. For a snack or, um, but let's talk about snackadence. Cause this is a big thing I'm a proponent of, of like, what should we be eating for a snack to keep us full? And what should we be avoiding that we may think is keeping us full, but it's actually probably just going to make us hungrier?
1: <laughs> it's such a good question. And it's, um, you know, a lot of people in the nutritional and medical orthodoxy will say that to keep your hunger in check, you've just, you know, just eat. They, they really have no advice. I mean, the, 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 the conventional adage has always been to eat less, move more, which says nothing about how food affects behavior. Or satiety. So the goal, I think, for most people, especially in the context of ever-present foods, food-like products that are in close proximity and that are minimally satiating, you want to maximize your satiety per calorie, right? So you want to eat foods that are have uh, a lot of um, that that are that are very satiating, but with uh, a, a relatively low caloric load, right? And these foods tend to be the foods that have that, 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 that satisfy that sort of, um, uh, that, that phenomena, right? Are foods that tend to be high in protein. Protein is the most satiating macronutrient. So protein provides four calories per gram. A high protein food, whether it's um, Greek yogurt or a hard boiled egg or uh, chicken breast or fillet of fish or whatever, whatever it happens to be, pr- foods that are very high in protein they provide four calories per gram, right? But protein, you get a bit of a a caloric free ride because of the thermic effect of protein. About a third, a quarter to a third of the calories that you ingest from protein get burned off via the digestion of protein alone. So you're actually getting about three calories per gram of protein functionally, right? And they're very satiating. So that satiety to calorie ratio, very high for protein. So whenever I'm looking to snack, I prioritize high protein foods. Um, the other two uh, features that make a food satiating are its fiber content and its water content. Now fiber is satiating because it mechanically stretches out the stomach. We don't have actually a biological requirement for fiber. It's not an essential nutrient. It does seem to improve life. It seems to support the gut microbiome and consumption of fiber containing foods seems to be associated with longevity. So it is. A, it seems to be a very good Uh, Thing to have in the diet, right? And we know that the standard American diet, conversely, is depleted of fiber. But fiber satiating because it mechanically stretches out the stomach, which turns off the release of a hormone called ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone. And the other factor, the third factor that makes a food satiating is its water content. Because for a hunter gatherer, hunter gatherers didn't have access to bottled water and running faucets, right? So when water ceased to be available, they would look for water in the next best place, which would be food. And for a hunter gatherer, the most hydrating foods would be fruits. Right, fruits can be upwards of ninety percent um, water, and so whole fruits have a, uh, a wonderful fiber content and water content. And so that's why um, that's another great option for people to snack whole fruit. It, that's why it's so it's it's a, a self limiting food. There's really no reason, no good reason to avoid um, you know whole fruit. Problem is, most people today consume either dried fruit, which is lacking in water, right? So it's a lot easier to overconsume. It's also had its sugar content concentrated, so it, it pushes it to that point of hyperpalatability, where it's much more difficult to moderate your consumption. Um, and then also fruit juices, which we know are uh, hydrating, sure, but it's just a, a, a huge bolus of sugar with the fiber removed. So for me, getting back to your question, when I'm looking to snack or even craft a meal for myself. I'm looking to optimize around protein and fiber. That's yeah. pretty much it. And I found, this is anecdotally, uh, just an, an observation that I've made, but I eat like a lot of food. I, uh, like I eat a, uh, a an F ton of food. I mean, I, I don't know if you're allowed to, uh, you know, curse on the podcast, but, um, but I, but I do. And, and I'm able to maintain a, and I'm, just about 40 years old, I'm able to maintain a relatively lean body composition and my labs look great without counting calories, without obsessing over macros. And these are the fundamental, um, principles that I follow when snacking, when designing meals, I prioritize protein and then I fill out the plate with fibrous veggies, maybe some starchy tubers, what have you.
0: Yeah. And I think another important one to Max is like, so the fat is going to help keep you full too, right? And there's different fats. Like they bring more calories with them, but like having, like, I'm such a big proponent of, you know, we talk about food and how it's something we all do, but it's also something we can all enjoy. And that's part of that satisfaction. So like making, if you, you know, if you have the time, but also you can make the time, like make yourself a nice little snack plate. Maybe you have a few olives that have your fat, right? Maybe you have, um, you know, just to get some extra veggies in some carrots or cucumber, which I will say, sprinkle with a little bit of salt and they taste so much better, so much better. And then, right. And then maybe you have, um, some grass fed, like a grass fed beef stick if you want. Right. And like, maybe just like a few slices of fruit. Cause I will say for some people, like for me and everyone's blood sugar responses are different but if I just eat an apple alone without like, you know, maybe some nut butter with it, or even maybe just having like one of those grass-fed beef sticks with it, I'm starving in 30 minutes. And it's because like I had a little spike. So you have to also just like listen to your body as well, but maybe having a bowl of raspberries that has more fiber will help keep you fuller longer. So also pay attention to what your body's telling you. Um, but yeah, I always am like make snacking fun, right? Like make yourself that little plate with all different components. Um, but make sure it's, you know, right. Protein fiber and fat. And then with carbs, they really are just there to supply us with energy. And I feel like that's a big misconception is like people think like, oh, I should go for, or like I should go grab the roll because I'm hungry right now. And it's like, that's actually just going to make you hungrier. Granted, if your carb does have a lot of fiber in it that can help keep you fuller, but that's like one of the biggest misconceptions I see is like, Oh, I should go for like the extra helping of rice, or I should go for right. Like that extra helping of the starch. And in reality, it's probably just going to make you hungrier. Um, but let's talk Max, a little bit about time, the timing of when we eat, what are your thoughts on timing?
1: Yeah, I think I think timing is important. Um, I don't think it's as important as what you eat, but I do think that Agreed. it's important. Yeah. Um, I do think that it's important, particularly in light of what we're learning about circadian rhythms, um, circadian biology, which dictates that, you know, our metabolic furnace is really meant to be utilized during the day. We're diurnal creatures. And so, There's this line of research that's now looking at what's uh, been labeled ETRF or early time restricted feeding, which basically skews the calories that we consume um, earlier in the day. So, you know, having your first meal an hour or two after you wake up and not eating for two to three to maybe even four or five hours um, before you go to sleep seems to independent of calories um, provide a, a cardiometabolic effect. With regard to improving glucose tolerance, so how how your body handles a bolus of sugar, for example, um, or starch, as well as blood pressure, Um, and also next day hunger signals and the like. So, um, for me, what that looks like is I try to I try to not eat uh, my dinners too late. Now, I will caveat that with saying that dinner tends to be our most social meal, and so I don't want anybody to um, skip social opportunities. an earlier dinner, because I still think that, um, and it's pretty clear that, um, social, uh, engagement being, being engaged in our social circles is uh, an important feature of, of healthy living. Right. But, um, but if it's, if it's convenient for me, I, I try to eat uh, my dinners earlier. We know that we tend to be more glucose, uh, tolerant earlier in the day as opposed to later at night. Um, so higher carbohydrate meals, starch-based meals, uh, if you're trying to mitigate blood sugar excursions, um, generally you want to eat those foods earlier in the day. Um, so yeah, so I, I am a fan of this uh, of this early time restricted feeding um, line of research. I will say that a lot of the studies are done in men and postmenopausal women. Um, women, I think, tend to at least from my experience, do better with uh, longer feeding windows, whether it's uh, twelve yeah. or fourteen um, hours. But your average American today is eating food. The entire 16 hours that they're awake, um, if not more. So uh, any, I think, improvement on that um, is bound to provide benefit.
0: Yeah, no, I think a good place to start. And I'm so glad you mentioned that women are different too, because I feel like so many people don't. And then some women go from like, okay, well, I'm going to do like the 16 hour fast. And really with our hormones and the research, it may not be the best. Um, But yeah, even if you can start with like, giving right your body that rest of 12 hours between your last meal you ate at night. And the first thing you eat in the morning, and then maybe 14. And again, it's like, right. Like go back to seeing how you feel as well and adjust from there because we are all different, right? Like, yes, there are certain aspects and certain things we can research, but you also just have to pay attention to how you're feeling, but I'm a big proponent with you. And I will say max, like, and I don't know if you, you know, kids are in your future, but it's like have kids and you will eat dinner earlier. <laughs> like it's just, it's just how it is. Um, or I know for some people they wait, but it does at least help with that. Um, so let's get into exercise. And you actually, you were making me think of it about like when we should have our carbs when it comes to exercise, are there certain types of exercise you promote over others based on the research?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, whatever form of exercise you enjoy doing and is going to be the, the modality that, that you do on a consistent basis. I mean, that's what you should, you know, stick with doing, but I do implore people to integrate more resistance training, um, into their, into their routines. Um, I think this is changing, but uh, in general, I think there seems to be a skittishness that, that females have for weight training because of the fear that it's going to make them too, too bulky, um, which is not generally not gonna happen unless you're injecting you know, androgenic anabolic hormones. Uh, resistance training, is, it's so crucially important. It's such a, a, an important way of fostering robustness um, and anti-fragility in the body. Um, and I also think that resistance training is such a wonderful way to celebrate what your body can do. I think too often we associate um, going to the gym with torturing ourselves or, or punishing ourselves for what we've eaten. Right, the burning of calories on cardio machines and the like, but um, resistance training, you know, building up your 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 musculature, it's so important in terms of a fostering mobility, b um, providing a sink for glucose. Right, we we all talk about how important it is to keep your blood sugar levels healthy. Well, you have a limit. There are limited. Your body is sort of like a New York City apartment with regard to storage for sugar. It's like storage is pretty limited. Um, and the, the, one of the primary m- routes of glucose disposal is through your musculature, right? Cause your muscles store sugar. And so by supporting the health of your muscle tissue, you're providing a, a, a means of glucose disposal, which is, which is very important in, in terms of keeping your blood sugar nice and healthy. Um, resistance training also a great way to, uh, foster, foster insulin sensitivity, um, and yeah, so I, I tend to be a big advocate for resistance training for everybody. I think it's I think it's really important. Um, we're seeing now that it's it does the same things to the brain that cardiovascular exercise does with regard to boosting levels of BDNF or brain derived neurotrophic factor, which is sort of a miracle grow protein for the brain. Um, and I do think that cardio uh, has a place, certainly. I think that you can, you can get your cardio in many different forms, you know, whether it's brisk uh like a brisk walk or by shortening the rest time in your workouts. Um your resistance, your your like shortening the the time between sets, you can get a bit of a an anaerobic uh or I'm sorry, an aerobic effect there. Um but yeah, I, I'm I'm a big advocate for resistance training. I think it's I think it's really important.
0: Yeah, no, a few things you said there max which I'm glad you touched on like you can get cardio out of resistance training. I mean, anytime your heart rate is elevated, you are working your cardiovascular system. And like, you know, if you are lifting, whether it's at like a faster pace or less time between rest, like, I mean, I don't know about you, but like, (laughs) I feel like my heart rate's always elevated when I'm strength training. Um, But it's also that we're talking a lot about like this protective effect. And we all, as we age, we lose muscle mass. And one of the reasons too is, As we get older, we don't process protein as well. So, actually, you usually have to end up eating more protein as you get older, usually, kind of when you hit 50 or more, is what the research shows us to just maintain your muscle mass. So, it's great if at a younger age you can start to build that muscle mass and you're not trying to play catch up later, Um, especially for women too, right? And osteopenia and trying to, again, just work out those preventative measures and whether it's like two to three times a week, right? You don't have to do too much strength training and it could be 30 minute bouts each time to get a lot of those benefits. Um, I'm really happy you talked about, you know, basically the storage in our muscles and where we store sugar. So it really works is that, like you do some strength training and you're like creating all this storage space for those sugars to go in. So I don't know about for you, Max, but like, I always tell clients the best time, if you're going to have like that higher carb meal, or, you know, you're going to your favorite pasta restaurant, or you're getting, you you're planning to get like a big burrito because you've been looking forward to it for a while. The best time to have it is like a post strength session. It doesn't mean you have to like be going to the gym and it's like, you could even just like you know, do a couple bicep curls, maybe do a couple squats. You don't have to do too much to really create that space for that sugar to go in and be utilized.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be immediately before. It could be, yeah. you know, just a, cu- a couple hours before. Mm-hmm. You benefit from what's called uh, insulin-independent glucose uptake. So, I mean, in the post-workout setting, we all know that insulin typically is required for to activate these GLUT4 receptors, right, to come up to the surface of the cell to allow glucose to enter the cell. But in the post-workout window, you have it, the contraction of the muscle itself causes the same thing, right? That insulin yeah. typically, typically does. So you reduce the area under the curve for insulin secretion, right? Which, all things considered, is a, is likely a good thing because insulin is a is a powerful growth hormone. Um, and yeah, you create a channel. Your muscles become like a sponge for for those carbohydrates. So I think that's yeah, that's that's great advice. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, just having like, as you mentioned, we, we tend to get more anabolic resistant as we get older. This is something that all older adults seem to experience. So, I mean, this is another reason why we really want to like prioritize protein um, and reach that bolus threshold of two and a half grams of uh, leucine with every meal, um, I think is really important, optimizing for high quality protein sources. Um, but yeah, supporting your musculature. I mean, it is your largest organ. Like your your muscles mm-hmm. collectively are an organ, and they're not typically regarded as such. We view them purely as like these mechanical, like you know, like this uh, just happenstance that we have these like organs on us that are able to like move us about the world, right? But they're an organ, and we've got to take care of them. They're they're a my friend Gabrielle Lyon, who's a, a that's really, I
0: was just gonna bring her up, Max. We just had her on. Probably a, a few months ago now, but I was going to say, it's like, you listen to her and it's like, you leave being like the, my muscles are the most important part of my body.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like a vital sign, right? Muscular health, mm-hmm. crucially, crucially important.
0: Um, So just, I know we're not gonna be able to go into all the factors of living a genius life, but I know like getting outside is a big one. Um, I want to save sleep and stress for last because I know that's two of your most important ones. And That's where I think people should always start. But what are some quick ways you talk a lot about like reducing your toxin load? What would you say are your top tips that people can easily do at home to reduce their toxin load?
1: Yeah, that is a big topic. And I talk about it in depth in the genius life. But I would say that the low hanging fruit for most people is going to be to simply reduce your exposure to foods uh, stored and heated in plastic containers. So plastic is a big issue. Um, it's it, there's it's incontrovertible fact at this point that when we heat foods, certain kinds of foods in plastic containers, those plastic particles, ions, are able to migrate into our food and then have an effect in our bodies, a, a, an endocrine disrupting effect. Now your endocrine system is the hormones that govern everything from development to brain function to libido sex drive, body composition, hunger you name it. I mean, hormones are responsible for everything. And we're exposed to on a daily basis about 1400 different known, um, endocrine disruptors, according to the endocrine disruption exchange. And I think, you know, to some degree, they're an unavoidable aspect of modern life. That's true. But by reducing your exposure to plastic, um, I think that you're going to be really, uh, going a long way towards, um, Towards, yeah, to, towards doing one better than your average American who's just exposed to these, these compounds on a, on a regular basis, whether it's bisphenols like bisphenol A um, or phthalates, parabens, reducing your consumption of fast food, which should be a given. But also in your kitchens, try to get rid of the plastic, you mm-hmm. know, throw out the plastic Tupperware or use them for dry foods. Um, I think that's fine if you want to store dry foods in plastic containers. But for anything wet, anything that you um, intend on on reheating or heating, anything acidic, salty, fatty, uh, those should be stored in glass. I mean, at this point, glass, uh, containers are pretty easy to find, whether it's Pyrex, um, or what have you, if they have a plastic lid and it's not coming in contact with the food, that's fine. Um, but I would say that's one of the big ones. The other, I guess, major one would be, um, stop touching store register receipts. Um, that is a major one. Humans, whether we like to admit it or not, there's a lot of hand-to-mouth behavior. When we touch store register receipts, most of the time they're coated with BPA, which is a very powerful xenoestrogen compound. We've known since the 30s that estrogen is essentially, uh, that BPA is essentially like a, a form of um, uh, artificial synthetic estrogen. It was actually initially uh, destined to be designated a drug as an estrogen replacement. Um, but, uh, but now it's just, it's when we discovered that it could be used to make plastic and all kinds of industrial applications, um, it just saturated the modern world. And when we're exposed to BPA and BPA enters our systems, it's a, it's an endocrine disruptor. And these compounds are really difficult to study because they don't follow the typical toxicity curve of most chemicals, right? Most chemicals, the dose makes the poison increasing danger, um, and toxicity with an increasing dose. But what's treacherous about these endocrine-disrupting compounds is that they have a, what's called a non-monotonic dose curve. So you can see one effect, like a toxic effect at a very high dose, right? Um, but then at very low doses, you can see a completely different effect. And so it makes them um, tricky to study. But because we know that these chemicals, um, few of them biodegrade, they're persistent environmental toxins in us, they have this ability to affect our, our system of hormones, you're really better off just reducing your your exposure to them and also doing what you can to detox them. Detox is used, you know, willy nilly in the wellness space. And I think oftentimes it's used to sell supplements, but our bodies do detox themselves. And we can spur that process and support that process by eating foods that, um, and, and, and doing things that, um, that encourage this, this detox process, whether it's sweating or making sure that your digestion is running smoothly so that you're eliminating on a regular basis. Um, all really, really sort of important ways of, 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 uh, minimizing your exposure and reducing your overall, uh, burden of these chemical toxicants.
0: Yeah, no, I think those are great recommendations because it's true. It's like you can find I mean, you can go to right your home goods or TJ Maxx and get honestly, like a whole set of glass containers now for ten ninety nine, right? It's something that we all should be. And it's like an easy, like you said, a low hanging fruit and an easy swap. And then with your receipts, it's like, just ask to hold the receipt. But I know some people who always, I mean, even for us, like we try to keep somewhat of a budget for our grocery store. It's like, just whip out your phone, take a quick pick of the screen so you can get your total And you can even make a nice little folder. It's so much easier than having all these receipts, which if you're constantly touching them too, you're just exposing yourself more. Um, all right, Max, let's talk sleep and stress. So one thing I love that you said, and it's something if I'm working with clients or, you know, giving advice to anyone, I always tell them to start with sleep and stress because if your sleep hygiene isn't good or, Um, your stress management isn't good. It's really hard to move the needle, even if you're eating really well, or you're exercising, you know, a few times a week if they're not in check. So what would you say are your top tips or even just the tips that you use in your everyday life for better sleep hygiene and stress management?
1: Yeah. So I think stress is, I mean, it's something that like we, we love to fantasize about a universe where there is no stress, right? But that's not reality. Like stress is a part of the modern milieu, right? It's, it's, it's inevitable. We're all going to be faced with stressors. Um, and, and there's very little control ultimately that we have on when and where those stressors, uh, present, you know, sometimes we, unintentionally we'll end up scraping our cars or a loved one will get sick or what have you. So I think that the best thing to do is aside from trying to reduce your overall stress burden, but as I mentioned, you know, that's not always feasible is to take steps in your life to bolster your resilience against stress, which is something that we can all do with exercise, with um, dosing our bodies acutely with um, physical stressors like cold water immersion or, uh, you know, heat stress, sitting in a sauna, um, exercise, because what happens is there's a spillover effect. It's called cross adaptation, whereby we actually become more mentally and psychologically resilient as a result. So I think that's one way, right? Um, obviously doing what you can to, to, to reduce stress and to, and to foster a sort of, uh, a productive way of, of dealing with that stress, whether it's through breath work or meditation, or even just like finding new hobbies, things that you love that draw you into the present moment, right? I think this is all, um, I think really, really crucial. Uh, but also, like our diets, I think can support our body's stress response. A lot of people who are on, you know, who are fasting for too long. We already talked about fasting and how how great it can potentially be. But if you have a lot of stress in your life and you're throwing on top of that exercise and saunas, and then you're, you know, you're you're you've adopted a very restrictive diet particularly a a very low carbohydrate diet for example you're just like adding fuel to the fire of stress so that's where i think like um making sure that you're not overdoing it there's this concept called um allostatic load which is basically your allostatic load is the some amount of stresses that your body is contending with at any given time right and your body works very hard to get back to homeostasis or balance homeostatic or uh, allostatic load is a natural part of life, right? Your body, you you actually become more, uh, you become stronger, you adapt, you become more resilient with a certain amount of of sort of items in the allostatic cup, so to speak. But once you start applying too many of these stressors, that turns into allostatic overload when the cup essentially flows over. And that is burnout. That's burnout that um, usually coincides coincides with a weaker immune system leaving you prone to infections and the like. So you really have to be mindful of all these different sort of like types of stress where they're coming from um, and being mindful about your overall uh, allostatic load um, crucially crucially important. Sleep is one of these important things that we don't talk about enough but um, it really is a key modulator on all of these different, uh, aspect of what it means to live healthily today. I mean, when we sleep, it gives us greater resilience to deal with stress. When we, when we're sleeping of, you know, with sufficient duration and quality, it also makes us better able to adhere to, um, a healthier dietary pattern because we know that being underslept makes us more prone to consuming ultra processed sugary junk foods to the tune of about 400 additional calories a day. So making sure that you're optimizing your sleep. Um, I think that's really important. I actually started using a, an aura ring just to like, and I have no no affiliation with this company, but um, just to sort of get a sense of how my sleep is, is going. And um, I'll tell you, when I'm underslept, I feel like, yeah, the world just feels like a, a grayer, gloomier place. And when I've had a good night's sleep, I feel like I could do anything.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's. I mean, a good night's sleep, I feel like especially I have an eight-month-old right now, Max, so it's like a good night's sleep. You <laughs> really cherish it, um, but you notice a huge difference the next day. Like, and it plays so many parts. I mean, we, I don't think we have the time to dive into it, but it's like, right. Your hunger hormones the next day, you're usually hungrier. You are craving more palatable foods. And that's kind of how we were talking about before it's really hard and your recovery post-exercise. So it's really hard, even if you're eating a very well balanced diet, especially for your body and you're working out a few times a week, it's hard to even get there and reach some of your goals or even just your health goals when your sleep's not in check. Um, I'm a big proponent. I know you are too, Max, of the, the breathe right strips. Yeah. <laughs> I think they help a lot. Cause I don't think, I think a lot of people don't even realize, um, just the difference of like, if you're a mouth breather versus being a nose breather, um, just the drastic effect it can have, but I'm curious, I know you pretty much live the way of your, you know, right, of living a genius life. Can you give everyone just a quick rundown of what, you know, a daily example of living a genius life would look
1: like? Oh, man. Well, it's, it's doing, it's, it's trying to do all the things, but not being hard on yourself if you can't do all the things. You know, I think it's about baby steps and just trying to be a little bit better than you were yesterday. Um, so for me, you know, I try not to let perfection be the enemy of the good. Um, I, I lead a busy lifestyle. I have social obligations. So for me, it's not about, it's not about perfection. It's about, it's about doing the best I can at any given moment. Right. And also knowing that you're always one meal away from getting right back on track to whatever dietary pattern or way of eating you intended to be on to begin with. Right. But, um, but I guess it starts with, um, with sleep the night before. I really try to like optimize that for myself. Um, I keep my bedroom very dark and cool. And I, I do use those like nose strips because we're meant to breathe through our noses. And when we mouth breathe, we're not getting the full breadth of benefit that comes from nose breathing. And so I'll occasionally take my mouth closed and put on the breathe right strips to uh, help encourage nose breathing there are a lot of, um, people now talking about the fact that the way we're raised, the reduced sort of exposure to fat soluble vitamins, um, have caused this like malformation of our faces, right. Where we have these like deviated symptoms and, you know, our sort of nasal airways aren't what they used to be for our hunter gatherer ancestors. Right. So it's led to a lot of people feeling congested, not breathing properly. So I try to like, I try to encourage breathing the way that it's supposed to happen, right um which is through the nose so i'll tape my mouth closed and um and and usually use one of those like nose expanding strips and uh i keep my bed my bedroom nice and dark Um, as i mentioned i try not to expose my eyes to very bright light um in the in the later hours and in fact in my bedroom i have a red light bulb Um, so if i ever need light at night it's very dark in my room and in my bathroom in the hours prior to going to bed i don't use overhead lights uh, which I think is is important. It's been very helpful for me. Um, and so I sleep. I try to get eight to nine hours of sleep a night. Um, I'm lucky. I don't have kids, and I, I don't have a, a traditional job that I need to set an alarm to wake up for. Um, so I, I generally will wake up naturally at about seven or eight or, or you know maybe eight thirty in the morning if uh, you know if that's what my body wants. Um, and then. I try to get, like, really bright light as soon as I wake up somehow, whether it's, like, going to a window and doing some, like, sun salutation pose or some breathing meditation, what have you. Because uh, I know that that anchors my brain's circadian clock, which is, like, a 24-hour timer that influences the functioning of, of pretty much every organ system. Um, at a certain point, I'll go and I'll get a cup of coffee, which lately I've been drinking. Uh, the way that I make my coffee is, is, is pretty deliberate. I use a a paper filter, um, which, uh, extracts a lot of these like diterpene compounds, which we know can powerfully elevate, uh, LDL cholesterol. Um, I'm probably genetically prone to hypercholesterolemia. So, um, I know that filtering my coffee as opposed to using something like a French press is actually Mm going to be better for me for my cardiovascular system. Um, I mix in a little bit of heavy cream these days, which, uh, I think is a pretty nutrient dense fat. And, um, and coffee is actually really good for you. I mean, if you, if you tolerate it, I think it's good to take occasional hiatuses from it. But um, coffee is really good from the standpoint of cardiovascular health, brain health. Um, so, yeah, I'm a fan of, of that. And then usually I'll work out in the morning. I enjoy a, a quasi-fasted morning workout. Um, it also, I feel like, makes me enjoy the meal that I typically eat after my workout much more it just, food just tastes better after a workout. I love it. And yep, I, I, I also I feel like there's something very ancient about it too, right? Like you're working for your food essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I'll, I'll work out fasted. I'll go then eat something. And as I mentioned, I'm focusing on protein, vegetables, tubers, you know, starches from like sweet potatoes and stuff like that to replenish my, the glycogen that I've expended, yep. um, working out. I generally try not to snack throughout the day but uh, but I'll usually if I do snack it'll be you know whole fruit dark chocolate or some high protein snack protein shake maybe um, sometimes I'll do like some sauna uh, try to like move as much as I can throughout the day um, and uh, trying to think if there's anything else no it's pretty much like a day for me and then dinner is like I eat generally the same kind of meal that I would typically eat for lunch. Like for me, there's no, I'll eat the same thing for dinner that I would eat for lunch. And sometimes I'll even eat that for like for breakfast, you know, um, it's really just all about protein, high quality protein, vegetables, um, fruits and things like that. And I also just released a new cookbook called genius kitchen. So I've got a ton of like new recipes at my disposal, which I've created for the book. And, uh, and yeah, so I've got no shortage of delicious, uh, foods to eat.
0: I know. I was just going to talk about that, Max, cause I still need to get my hands on it. Um, but that's like for everyone listening, if you want some recipes for Max, he did just come out with the genius kitchen and I'm glad Max, you brought up like that. Sometimes what you eat for dinner could even be breakfast because I get the question so many times, like I'm eating the same breakfast every day. Like what other things can I eat? And it's like, it doesn't have to be breakfast foods, right? Like we get into this mindset. It's really more so about like having a protein, right? Like maybe having a fiber rich starch and throwing some veggies in there if you can, um, for some extra fiber, but yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up. Well, so it's funny, Max, we end every episode with a little rapid fire Q and a, you already answered one of them it was coffee or tea. And I love that we got a little rundown of your coffee, but two other ones we have. So one is going to be, what is your favorite de-stressing practice or tool?
1: Man, I love, so I, I'm a self-taught musician. I, uh, I sing and I play guitar. Um, and so I love to pick that up, you know, and practice and and, and get better at that. It's like, uh, I love it. Like it's not, I don't have any sort of end goal, um, sight, but I just love the process of like getting better and better and better at it over time. So I'll just like, and I have a little like amp, like a PA sort of system in my, in my living room. So I'll plug in and it's just like, I I love it. I love like singing through like a speaker and, and playing guitar and just practicing. So uh, yeah, that's like, I have a lot of fun doing that. And, um, and, uh, hopefully my neighbors don't mind too much. (laughs) No, I love it.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds great. It sounds like, like, I feel like it'd be super, like, meditative, too. Um, Okay, this is my favorite rapid-fire question, but what is your favorite home-cooked meal? It could be something you make or someone else makes.
1: My favorite home-cooked meal... uh, I mean, I love love cooking a good steak. Like, I just love grilling meat. It feels it feels ancient. You know, I, f- I feel like I've used that term already once, but I, I love things that make me feel like connected to the, 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 ans- my ancestral lineage, you know? Yeah. Um, and cooking meat over a fire, like you don't get more ancestral than that. So I enjoy doing that. I also love roasting up veggies, anything utilizing a good olive oil I'm all in on. Um, So yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big salad fan. I love a good salad. I love like baby gem. I think that's what it's called. Little gem gem lettuce, uh, butter lettuce. I'm a huge fan. So yeah, for me, it's like a a great meal would be, I guess, like a really well done steak, like a ribeye and a, and a delicious salad. Maybe with some like pomegranate seeds or blueberries. Yeah.
0: No, it's like good food does not need, I don't know. I just think going back to like the basics. And just simple meals are the most delicious meals. You just have to use high quality ingredients. That's where I'm at. It's like, you know, I was just watching, um, I don't know, Max, if you've watched any of the episodes of The Lost Kitchen, but Aaron French always says like, you can't make good food without good ingredients. So using like the high quality, like a nice like grass-fed steak, to me, it tastes so much different than like your average conventional steak. And that's what trying to like promote to people too. Like if anything, like go for it for the taste because it tastes so much better. Um, but thank you so much, Max. This was so great. Um, if you could just tell people where they can find you, your books and how they can connect with you.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you, Kay. This was really fun. Um, I'm super active on social media, uh, Instagram in particular. You can find me at at Max Lugavere and it's spelled L-U-G-A-V-E-R-E. I host a podcast of my own. It's called The Genius Life. And then my new book, Genius Kitchen, just came out. It's available wherever books are sold.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Max.
1: Thank you, Kate.
0: After listening to this episode, pick one aspect of living a genius life to focus on. Take that for about a week or two and see how things might start changing for the better. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember you can catch some of our episodes of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. If you want to know more about me, you can follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Wells, hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Stephen. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcastnordicnaturals.com at and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.